Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 435, and our guest today is Dylan Dawson from Onyx Maps. We speak with Dylan about some of the new features that have been added to Onyx in the past year that Steve and I honestly just haven't learned enough about. And maybe you're right there with us. Maybe you have Onyx, maybe you use it, but you're not fully aware of everything it can do for you. And this episode will certainly help you out with that. We also discuss some of the common tips and tactics that get overlooked when using Onyx, some of the things that people do wrong, and a lot more. So whether you are a current Onyx user or not, there's something you can take away from this episode. As always, guys, we do appreciate you tuning in. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. And if you haven't yet, hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically. But right now, let's dive into this discussion with Dylan. Well, Dylan, welcome to the podcast, man. Excited to uh, kind of virtually hang out with you today, and I'm sure we'll see you in person here at a show soon. But uh, before we dive into it, Go ahead and give some context just for who you are, what you do at Onyx, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, It's been a long time coming. And like you said, hopefully we get to spend some actual time face-to-face here here soon. Um, yeah, so my name is Dylan Dowson. I um, I do, I've, I've got some, several. I wear several hats for Onyx, I will say it that way. Um, basically, marketing manager is my title. I work a lot with our industry folks. Um, and I'll take two steps back. So Western big game marketing as a whole is kind of what what I work in. So if it's Western big game focused, um, it kind of comes through me. I am very fortunate. One of my favorite parts of my job is to have the the relationships and uh, work with the ambassadors, you know, the TV personalities, if you will, the born and raised, the hush, um, et cetera, in the industry. So that I would say is far and away probably the coolest part of my job is is having those relationships and managing those. And then um, once in a while, spending time in the field with them, creating content, et cetera. So that's kind of a, a big part of it. Um, you know, it, everything from email marketing to, you know, internal, external campaigns and it, everything in between. If it's Western big game focus, that's kind of mine. So I've been with Onyx for about eight, a little over eight and a half years now. And, uh, the growth and just the the company has changed so much like eight and a half years ago when I was started, like, you knew everybody on a first name basis, um, pretty, pretty small as far as like employees that work there. And since then it's just kind of blown up. So things have changed a lot. We, we kind of went from, um, you know, having one marketing team to kind of splitting out into regional and species. So mine's Western big game. I work with a counterpart that kind of focuses more on the white cell side of thing. Same with the waterfowl upland, the wing shooting, just to kind of have like experts, if you will, in each one of those areas. Because, you know, if I was to speak on on waterfowl, if this was a waterfowl podcast, I might be able to fake it a little bit, but definitely, <laughs> definitely not very well. So, um, yeah, in a nutshell, that, that's kind of it. But it's it's been it's been a cool, cool ride. Uh, I love working in the industry and I've always just, you know, I've been very passionate about hunting and the outdoors and conservation and everything prior. So you know, it just is a good fit and is, uh, is cool to, to know and to associate with folks like yourselves. I'm, I'm excited to have you on just to chew you out for all the features you add, but I don't pay attention to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll get to that for <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 What's so. curious to me too, is like you mentioned how Onyx on the, on the hunt side has grown and, you know, there's these waterfowl aspects to it and like Eastern more whitetail stuff, but even outside of hunting, there's I don't even know anymore, but like there's Onyx off-road. I think Onyx, is it backcountry? I don't even know. But like what is Onyx like branched out into besides hunting even? Yeah, um, I should have asked somebody internally if I can. So I'll, I'll tease a little <laughs> bit because there's another one coming soon. Uh, it's one of those things I'll, I'll ask for per, or for forgiveness instead of permission. But so we uh, Onyx backcountry, Onyx off-road. So Think of, for off-road, think of the Hunt product, essentially, but way more user-generated content. As you guys know, and as everybody listening, like, obviously, if, if you come to me and ask me where my honey hole is for elk, 
like it's just not going to happen. I'm not going to give you any information. If I am going to give you information, it's probably going to be to get you further away from where I hunt, right? So the user generated content stuff with with hunt just isn't there. And obviously we recognize that. We're not going to ask for that. We're hunters ourselves. We get it. The the off-road side of things though, um, so instead of like hunt specific data, it's very much centered around trail data. Um, can I take a, a, a four-wheeler on this trail? Can I take a side-by-side? Is it a snowmobile trail, et cetera? What's the avalanche conditions for snowmobiling? Um, so it's a lot more geared toward the off-roading, but then the user-generated content really comes into play with that because if you ask an off-roader, hey, what's you know what's a cool trail to hit around here? I'm new to the area. Like they're going to pull out maps and show you exactly where to go because like they want to share that, right? So it's uh, it, it opened up a cool user-generated content avenue for that. Backcountry, very similar. Um, it's like backcountry skiing and navigating, you know, the the PCT and and those type of trails and and so on and so forth. We are coming out with another one um, that is going to be on X Fish that is currently being worked on right now and planned to release this next year. That's why I I, I don't I fish. I don't know and like I'm not in that world enough to even think of that and is user generated content obviously some people are super secret about fishing holes and i know other people are happy to talk about like what's happening on the water and spawn and conditions and all that so i'm curious to see where that goes in terms of how that's uh treated with user generated content yeah no definitely and uh, to be honest i am too uh one of the nice things about how the company is structured is again i'm very much focused on western big game on the hunt side so like we break it down into like what people are passionate about, like what their what their knowledge is in, what what they're good at. Like I have not touched that new product once. Um, so I'm <laughs> I know about as much of it as you guys do at this point, just having heard about it. Um, but it's it's good because we've got the right folks working on that product. So it, it will be interesting too. I would imagine the uh, user generated content probably isn't going to be um, as much there because, like you said, I mean, if I have a good fishing hole probably not going to send a waypoint to everybody in the country i don't i don't even know if this exists already it may but do you is there do you have access to all of them with like different membership levels like if someone subscribed to like onyx hunt elite and they're like oh i occasionally off-road or look for trails or whatever do they have access to the off-road product no so right now they're completely separate um we've have had and will continue to have those discussions internally of like is there ever a time where if you get like a, you know, whatever membership you get access to all right now, they're just separate. The audiences, there are some overlap, especially with hunt and off-road, um, but not enough to really justify to, to bundle them together in my opinion. So, or in our opinion. So right now they're, they're separate, but that's always, that's always a discussion for sure. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is I was, uh, I was talking with Andrew from your team like we were having a conversation offline. It wasn't meant to be anything. And somehow or another, like the topic of features and what you guys have built into Onyx, but what you purposely haven't built into Onyx, specifically just talking back to the hunt product now came up. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, you know, just based on some conversations we've had, like there's certain features we could easily build into the hunt product that don't seem beneficial to the hunter from like i don't know if i want to use the term ethics i mean i think that applies in some instances but even it's just like hey protecting protecting hunting and the resource and not obviously honix has changed the game in terms of how much information's out there but when i began to think about it and think think of things like there could easily be like heat maps and all kinds of stuff for like waypoint concentrations or even looking at waypoints of certain types. And like there's the technical possibility to really blow things up, I think, in a negative way. And so I know that's super open ended and maybe you can talk in some specifics or maybe you can't. But I'm. it made me curious, like. I don't know if you can say like some of the conversations behind the scenes or like what you purposely don't put into the product or just kind of how you guys look at that because i think you could make the product even more powerful but you also realize you need to throttle yourselves if that makes sense yeah no i i mean first and foremost i'm very fortunate we as like all of us the consumers are very fortunate that 
the folks that are having these conversations really think about it and uh in the wrong person in the wrong people's hands like there's potential for some ethically questionable things and uh yeah it, it technology has came so far in the past 10 years not even specifically with this but even like you look at rifles and whatever i, I remember growing up and i'm not you know terribly old so i don't want to say that like back when i was a kid uh but I, when i remember when I grew up, you know, I remember 300 yards being like kind of at the, the edge of, you know, limits. Right. And I guarantee people back then were, were shooting more long distance and understanding, you know, ballistic coefficients and all the, the math and everything that goes into it. But I don't believe when I was growing up, there was a rangefinder that would just automatically calculate barometric pressure, temperature, spin drop, everything, and then tell you exactly what to dial. Right. So technology is is advancing. Um, I mean, now you can shoot as far as, as far as you want to like a thousand yard shot that anymore isn't that insane. Um, so technology everywhere, I think in hunt in the hunting space is advancing and especially with us. I mean, um, like, like you were alluding to some of the things that you could do on the map, we just ethically think aren't correct. And, and we do have those conversations quite frequent, frequently throughout the year. Um, so do just know that, like, you know, one of the things, for example, and I don't even know the legal terminology of this, of how this would work, but there's a lot of information out there on collared animals, right? So like just wolves, for example, like you can go find out information on collared wolves. I'm sure there's a way that we could, and I don't know this cause we've never explored it would never, but I'm guessing that there's probably a way to take that information and data and overlay it on the map to where it's more accessible, more public than what it currently is. So that's, you know, one example of just something that, you know, we haven't even really talked through that one, right? Because we just know that's not a topic of something we would want to get into. Uh, the waypoint thing is another, um, definitely something we, we talk about quite often, mostly because the customers, we get it joking questions all the time. Like, we'll be at a trade show and somebody will come up and like kind of nudge us and be like, Hey, you, so you know where I shot that big bowl last year, right? Like you have the waypoints and they, most of the time the questions are like kind of joking, but also you can tell that there's uh, <laughs> some, some, you know, backseat concern there. And uh, that's just something that we have never, will never ever consider doing is like selling people's data or even looking at people's data to create you know, heat maps, like you said, of, of areas of concentration, like we're hunters. If that ever happened to me, like I personally would go back to, if I was a customer and that happened, anything like that, I'd go back to a paper map and a highlighter and a compass. Like they're like, you just can't do that. Right. So um, yeah. And there, there's obviously a, a slew of other things, but just, we, we are having the conversations. We realize technology is incredible increasing in every aspect you know again like i hear stories from older folks that like yeah when it would snow in the winter like we didn't have good enough gear to to sit up there in in the snow and in the rain so like our hunting was super limited now look at all the options on the market as far as like keeping you warm dry safe etc um you know backpacks i'm sure with you guys like it's a different different realm of technology than like we are where it's like technology through your phone but I'm sure, you know, there's there's been pack frames for quite a while. I'm sure you guys know more of the history there. But, you know, 50, 60 years ago, I'm guessing people weren't able to throw 100, 120 pounds on their back and go hike it out, you know, near as comfortably as uh, as what we can today. Yeah, there's so many facets to that, for sure. Um, it's easy to throw around like technology as the the scapegoat i think of this conversation but as you said it's everything from like clothing to backpacks to the weapons of course and yeah and technology yeah and you know back to real quick like i i have one of those rangefinders that that calculates all that right so that's why it was top of mind so i like i think some of it is just ethics of like what do you feel and you know i definitely i don't want to steer down the the long range shooting debate because that's a whole nother conversation i'm sure you guys have had on other podcasts but um, you know, that's just one of those things that it's a good example. I think of like, what do you, as the hunter, what do you feel is ethical? Um, and as long as it's legal and, you know, that's the big thing is really, if it's legal and you think it's ethical, then go for it. Like, 
I pull out my rangefinder, I range something, it'll tell me exactly what to dial my rifle to. Um, that's a heck of a lot easier than, you know, doing all the math and pulling out the calculator and, and whatever, but it also makes me more precise. And I feel like I'm, you know, making more ethical shots on animals in the long run by having that equipment. Um, you talk to somebody else and they're like, yeah, if you're shooting past three or 400 yards, it's just not, that's not right. That's not fair. But I know a lot of folks that shoot better at a thousand yards than some folks I know that shoot better at 150 because of the practice and work and et cetera, they put in. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. Ethics is a, an interesting conversation to have, um, with everything related to hunting because everybody's viewpoint is so you know, we might even align on, on what we feel is ethical, but it, we might be thinking about it differently. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good conversation to have. And we are continually and will continually have it here at Onyx, especially when we look at features and, you know, new, new technology to put into the app. Before we dive into some new features and technology, I'm curious, like for you personally, what's, what do you find most helpful in Onyx out of recent updates? And I don't mean necessarily the newest, but like beyond the base, like I can see topo, I can see satellite, I can see public private, and I can save waypoints. Like the things that have been there forever, kind of the core of Onyx, some of the more advanced or newer or more nuanced features. What for you personally do you like or use often? Yeah, there's been quite a few the past two years, to be honest. Um, so one of the new ones that I used a ton this year, and we're going to expand on it here shortly in the the next coming months, but it's called our, it's our new compass mode. So essentially what this helps with, um, quite a few different things, but the main thing that I personally use it for is for dropping waypoints on known locations, right? So if I see a bedded mule deer, and he's across the canyon and I'm gonna go make a, a stock on the backside and come up over, I could be without a sight of that deer for hours, right? And then you get over there and you, nothing looks the same. We've all done that spring bear hunting or just anything where you're like, oh yeah, I'll just get up there and I'll, I'll find that opening right away. I'll just walk right to it. And then you get over there and you look around, you're like, I don't know if I'm 10 yards from that opening or you know, 350 yards. It's like, I have no idea where I'm at. So. One of the cool things about the compass mode is you can precisely uh, and pretty quickly drop waypoints. So um, not to like make this a complete demo, but in the bottom right hand corner of the map, if you tap on your location and tap on it again, the a compass icon pops up. You'll tap on the compass. And then as you're rotating your phone around, it has a heading at the very top. So it'll tell you what degree um, like north or whatever. It'll give you the heading. And then it also puts like a ruler out on the map. So let's just say again, for example, I've got a, a bedded mule deer and I range across the canyon and it's 762 yards away. So then I can tap the rangefinder um, button and then pull pull it closer or farther until I get to exactly 762 and then line it up with the phone. Obviously, you're going to want to look and like use the map and the aerial imagery as a reference too. So if he's bedded under a, a big rock uh, outcropping, like find that on the phone to, to double check. And then that yardage is exact, and then you just save that waypoint. So now when I go make that stock, instead of wondering exactly where that deer was, who that bear was after you shot it, like now you've got a waypoint reference to go to. Um, and so that's been super, super helpful. I'm not sure if you guys have, have played around with that much this year or not, and kind of what your thoughts are. Yeah, I, say, I, I think you showed that to me at the back at Portland earlier this year, and I was super excited about it. And the the first example you gave was great. And the other one that I thought was really helpful is you shoot something, whether it's a bow shot or a rifle shot across Canyon to go, okay, I shot 300 yards. You know, you can basically exact same method you just described, drop a pin right there. And then that way, when you get over there to start looking, you know, if the animal ran off to start looking for blood, you've got a really, really good starting point on exactly where the animal is standing when you shot. I think that's a something to put in the back of someone's brain if they've got onyx and they shoot like that's the very first thing you should do before you leave that place that you shot from is, is drop that pin because uh, how many animals have been lost because someone shoots cross canyon gets over there and i mean i've had that happen to me before a long time ago it's like i we're, uh you know i'm walking up and down the hill 100 yards across like where in the hell was i at uh where's that animal at where i shot from so that one's a yeah, good one especially 
I mean, it's for everything, but I've really noticed it with spring bear hunting because you get over there and everything is taller. Like the vegetation is taller than what, what it looked like. You, you see into this and it looks open. Then you get over there and mm-hmm. it's all four or five foot brush that you're looking into and it looks more open. And um, yeah, without a waypoint and a starting reference, like you, you're kind of hoping to get lucky at that point, I think. And one of the biggest things I overcame and I think a lot of our customers do is, especially when you see something and you're going on a stock or right after the shot, you know, you get excited and you're like, oh, let's go. Let's just go. Right. Well, if yeah. you take, you know, you don't want to waste any time. You want to get up there. You want to find your animal or you want to celebrate or you want to go make that stock because you've been sitting for seven days in the rain and snow and you finally found the animal you want to go shoot so it's like grab the pack let's go i get it but if you take an extra you know 45 seconds um minute sometimes tops to really look at the map and study it like not only drop a waypoint on where where you're going but like look at the topography what's going to be the the quickest way to get there what's going to be the most effective What's the wind doing? How can you use the topography and, you know, the aerial imagery to make a more efficient stock? Like, even if you spent five minutes looking at the map and analyzing the situation, like you're going to, you're, you're going to gain so much valuable information that you're going to be more effective on that stock um, that I think you're going to save way more time than that five minutes that you sat there and analyzed the map. And is that exactly where that animal is? Um, especially with archery, like, you know, you can creep up on a, a clump of trees or a bush. And if, if that mule deers wasn't in that one, you could sit on that for hours before realizing it. Another one that's pretty cool is uh, route builder. And this is pretty new. And the, these are, these are all kind of Western focus. I'm a, I Western big game hunt. So that's what I'm focused on. I know you guys are kind of the same. We, we do have a lot of really cool technology with uh trail cameras and whitetail folks and that type of thing. But the the things I'm going to touch on here are definitely Western focus and my personal favorites, what I've used the most this past season. Uh, route builder is, is another really cool one. So you can tap on route builder. You can do this on your phone or on the computer. So you can tap like your location or, you know, where camp is going to be essentially. So you can mark like a camp waypoint. Long story short, you tap on one area and then you tap on another area you want to go to. And it will automatically find roads and trails that can get you there most most efficiently. So, again, like if I'm e-scouting an area in Wyoming I've never been to, and I'm like, okay, hey, here's where I want my camp, drop away point. Here's where my glassing spot number one is going to be, drop away point. How do I get from my camp to, and this is not obviously talking like Bibby style hunting. This is more, you know, I've got a base camp. I'm camping off of a road type deal. Um so you tap those two two locations and it will automatically find the roads in the best route to get you there and create that uh, that trail, if you will. So then you can save it. You've got a reference when you're driving in the dark or whatever. You no longer have to pull out the map and say, like, zoom out and find Do I take a, if I take a right here, then I got to take a left up here. You just follow the trail that it automatically snapped and made for you. Um, so that was pretty cool. And that kind of also ties into CarPlay. So. If you're an Apple user, if you're an Android user, I'm sorry, but it, it is coming soon, um, hopefully. So we we have it available for Android as well. It just needs to get submitted and approved through the Google Play Store. That's a whole separate conversation. But for Apple users right now, if you have a vehicle that has CarPlay, um, you just plug in your phone to CarPlay and automatically the map, just it's right on your dash. So instead of pulling out your phone or whatever, especially with this, uh, this new route tool, um, you just look on the dash of your vehicle and then the map is right there. Yeah, I've had CarPlay pulled up with Onyx and it's it's awesome to have that for yeah. sure. I wasn't even aware of Route Builder. I'm curious, does that work offline? Like, does that, if you have offline maps saved, is Onyx aware of the roads and trails within what you saved offline to be able to build routes or does that need service like pre-planned like routes? It is such a new feature that I really should know the answer to that question. Um, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm testing uh, I'm testing it in the background. So I just threw my phone into airplane mode, and I'll, I'll let you know here in a second. But yeah, um, yeah no, it, it's it's a cool it's a cool new feature. We are also working on the ability to extend that to um, like hiking trails and whatever, and then just show quickly based on whether it be the color of it or whatever where that transitions. So. Right now, for example, it will show 
roads and it will show like ATV, dirt bike trails, et cetera. Um, but as a user, right, I want to know where that road stops and where the ATV or dirt bike trail starts. Because mm-hmm. if I don't have a dirt bike, then I need to know that information. So we're working on like next steps of, of this to where it'll show like a different color or a different gradient to say like, okay, like you can drive up to here with a, a vehicle and then here's a dirt bike trail, et cetera, et cetera. So um, yeah, there's there's a lot of things, cool things that we can add on to to this that you know it's just this is phase one and then we're we're going from there so i did find out uh currently you do need cell coverage okay you do need service for that so it's a it's more of a pre-planning tool before you get out there um you know save those that way you have them for offline as long as you save them ahead of time you have them for offline and it'll show you it's not as much of a big deal obviously if you're in a vehicle going to a spot, but it will show you the elevation profile, just like a track would. So there's, there's some cool things we can do, do with that moving forward as well. But yeah, it's, it's a new one that it, you know, I didn't realize how helpful it was going to be until I used it a few times. So I had a couple areas where I was like antelope hunting, right? So I, I wanted to go check out this piece of state, that piece of BLM, this public over here. And it was kind of like sporadically intertwined with a bunch of private and so I created like uh, a route from like where I was to the farthest away piece of public and then figured out ways to, to go by all that stuff. Right. So for, for scouting, for, for spending any amount of time in a vehicle, it's super helpful. Um, and then the, the third one that I kind of wanted to touch on real quick, that is helpful. That's super new. A lot of people don't know about it, to be honest, like, like some of the new features um, there's just a lot to it. You have to, you have to want to be educated on it to spend the time in it. And then that's when people find the value. And that's one of the things we struggle with a little bit is, you know, it's easy to have like a, a person to person conversation or a conversation at a trade show with a customer and say, Hey, like, here's the tool. I'll show you the power real quick. But if you get in and you learn this, like you will be more, you know, you're going to stack the odds in your favor to be more successful. A lot of the new things. And I think it's, the fact that it's paired with technology and the phone, it's almost like scary, right? It's like, I don't know how to use that. I, I don't know. That's for other people to figure out. That sounds really cool. But I pull out my phone and see if I'm on private or public and see my location once in a while, drop a few waypoints. So there's so much more to, to the product that people, if they just get in and like spend 30 minutes poking around on things, um, you know, they're going to learn so much more and be so much more effective. But the other really cool thing, and this is kind of a, a another preseason scouting tool, if you will, is uh, Terrain X. Have you guys played around with that much? I haven't. No, I've, I think I saw it pop up, but yeah. Guilty is <laughs> Mark and I get after customers for like, what? they didn't watch our fitting video. What the heck? You know, uh, but <laughs> like, we're just as guilty yeah. as others. Like yeah, I, we, uh, you guys do the totally, work, but people totally. still don't pay attention. Yeah. yeah. Dylan, to your point on like education, we, at, at the time we're recording this just this morning, we released our gear of the year podcast. And in that we mentioned Onyx mm-hmm. and Steve and I were in that podcast talking about all these things that Onyx could do that we were unaware of. And we were saying, I think the resources are out there. Like I know I've seen the YouTube videos pop up and it it shows like, Hey, here's the most important features before season for this year. Like I saw all those videos come this summer, but I just didn't go look at them. So like, to your point, I think you guys are have all the resources. It's just on us as the users to actually like make the most of that and get educated and try it and get familiar with it. Well, and it's too, you know, for us, like it makes my job very interesting because we, we can never stop trying to find new, new ways to teach and, and inform the customers, not only like these things exist, but here's how to use them and here's why you need to use them, get them like real world applications. Um, And a lot of that we do lean heavily on, on the folks that we work with, like born and raised and and hush and those, those type of folks. Um, but it's interesting, like everybody learns differently. Some people are visual, so you know, that goes all the way back to like middle school. How do you how do you how do you learn? Are you a reader? Are you visual, etc.? So we try and cover the bases with like here's how to use this new feature with a blog, and here's how to use it in a video on YouTube, etc. But it takes time, and I I really feel like you almost have to 
show or give the value prop of like the aha moment for a customer of this, you could use this on your upcoming elk hunt. You could use this on this upcoming hunt that you you have and here's why it would be helpful. And then they're interested enough to educate themselves, right? Um, I'm sure you guys get that with backpacks a lot. Like they, you know, you get the pack and you throw it on and then you just go go out and like don't try and fit it, right? Um, so it, it is an interesting, it, it makes my job super interesting and like not in a bad way at all. It's, it's, it's good. It keeps things, uh, keeps me continually learning about the best way to, to get this information to our customers. But, um, so terrain X is a desktop feature right now. It's only on the computer and it is absolutely worth checking out. Like for anybody listening that doesn't know what terrain X is or hasn't played with it, it's uh it's pretty like crazy mind blowing technology what you can do with it so uh think about e-scouting you go to the desktop version of of the app which is you know just part of the membership on the right hand side you launch a thing called terrain x and in here you can filter by slope angle by slope aspect uh, um elevation band as well so if you're like i want to see all the the terrain between four and four thousand and sixty five hundred feet um the map essentially is grayed out. So you can see the map, you can put it in 3D, um, but it's grayed out. And then what you're filtering by, it will allow that color to populate. So again, if I want to see between four, if I want to see between 4,600, um, it will show just that area. And then say, I want to see, you know, Northeastern facing slopes. It will also pull just that area. And then you can also filter by slope angle. So I want to see between 20 and 35 degree uh, slope. So you filter all this stuff and it will show highlight areas on the map that, you know, meet that criteria, um, which is super helpful. But the, the part of, of view shed or terrain X that I really think is the most helpful is the view shed part. So view shed, essentially think of it like if you are wondering, okay, if I hack up to this peak, what can I see? Like what is going to be, what is going to be physically, what can I view from this glassing point? That's what ViewShed does. So you click on ViewShed, and then as you're moving your mouse around the, the map, it will sh- highlight the area that, based on topography and the information in the map, what you can actually physically see from there. So if you're going to pull up 2,000 vertical feet in the morning to a glassing point, like I want to make sure I can see the head end of that drainage where I think that bucket is going to come out, right? So you go and click on view shed and then as you're, again, as you're moving the cursor around the map, it will highlight what you can and can't see. The only thing it doesn't take into account is vegetation. Obviously, if you're in some super dense wooded areas, which you should be able to tell by the uh, by the aerial imagery, if you're in some dense wooded areas, you're not gonna be able to see through trees, um, but based on topography, it will show you, you know, you can see this area, you're not gonna be able to see down here, which is pretty cool. I was playing with that while you're talking. That is insane. The other thing with the view shed is uh, what I tell customers is if you want to play with just view shed alone, make sure all the, everything on the left-hand side is completely opened up or is turned off. Um, so basically the view shed will also take into account what you have put in for information for what you want to see for slope angle, slope aspect and elevation band. So you can you can filter all that stuff out and then use ViewShed and it's going to show you what you can see that match the criteria for what you're looking for for elevation, slope, and angle, right? So if you want to see just what you can see, period, make sure everything on the left hand with slope, angle, aspect, and elevation band are turned off, and then it will really pop and you'll you know have a bigger bigger better understanding of like what you can see. So it is super interesting looking at. You know, I use it a lot for mule deer hunting in Montana. Like I'll pick out several glassing points along a ridge system. So I'll turn on topography and say, okay, if I like, how can I most effectively hunt this whole area for mule deer? And for me, it's like finding a ridge system, finding multiple glassing points on that ridge system. So I'm not like wasting a ton of energy and effort going down through the draws and busting deer. I can't see whatever. So I'm, I'm using topography to, to mark potential glassing points throughout a whole ridge system to to hopefully cover the entire area with my glass and walking as little as possible jumping deer so 
I'll use this, uh, this view shed and kind of look at, you know, okay, here's the ridge I want to go down. And if I hike down the ridge, like, here's what I can see. Oh, if I, you know, jump down to that next, uh, next saddle down there, I'll be able to see a whole different drainage than I could before. So I'm going to mark that in here as well. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool technology. I remember the first time looking at view shed and it's just like, my mind was kind of blown. For sure. I think I'm having that moment right now. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> um, you mentioned in Viewshed, obviously it can't account for vegetation. And one thing I did want to ask about I, is I've seen in the mobile app this toggle for leaf off imagery. Uh, can you explain what that? I mean, the name's somewhat self-explanatory, obviously, but like, what is that in more in-depth and when would you use that? Totally. So that is and was designed for mostly for whitetail hunters. It's only in specific states right now. Um, not not anything in the West right now. It's one of those things where we're seeing how many people use it, how beneficial it is. And then we're going to kind of look for more data sets and resources that have leaf off imagery. Um, for whitetail hunters, it's a big thing. So for and I, I don't know the states off the top of my head, but for a few specific states, if you click that on, Basically, it will show imagery that was taken taken in the winter, essentially, right? So leaf off so you can see the ground. You can see more of the terrain because if you're looking at an area, obviously, with imagery, if it's all a bunch of cottonwood trees and all the leaves, everything's on, you're not really seeing much except for treetops. So that was kind of uh, one thing we we wanted to do to test out for, for some whitetail states. Um, we also have uh where you can go back and look at historic imagery so if you go to recent imagery one thing to note with recent imagery is it is less detailed and we call that out right away right on it says less detailed but updated frequently so you're going to want to zoom out a little bit you're not going to be able to zoom in and see like is there water in that wallow or in this little spring right not that type of thing but if you're looking for, is there snowpack still up where I want to go bear hunting in the spring? Or is that came off? Uh, you can go to recent imagery and then it will give you a date range of when that imagery was taken. So right now I'm looking at the most recent possible, which is November 12th to the 26th. And what is today? December 6th. So from this imagery was shot from November 12th to, through the 26th of the same year. Um, and then you can scroll back too. So like I can jump back to October 9th to November 12th, October 15th to the 29th um, and just scroll all the way back. And I believe we have all the way until May or so. Um, and then as we move forward, we will continue to keep that. So in a year, for example, you'll be able to go back a year and a half and look at what was the imagery like? What was the snowpack like? What was this area like pre-burn? um or post burn etc and and kind of see the landscape change so again it's not as detailed it's not as crisp and clean as the imagery we normally offer but it's it's super frequent and it's really helpful for those sorts of things it's gonna be pretty fantastic for just spring bear hunting references first thing that comes to mind like when yeah. traditionally is the snow melting in this area things like that yeah yeah uh, no, definitely. And especially if you're going out of state for it, for me, like a lot of the things, a lot of the places I spring bear hunt are relatively close to home. Right. So if I go up there and it's snowed in, like, yeah, I'm slightly annoyed, but I didn't waste, you know, a ton mm -hmm. of time and effort and money. Um, now that we have this, I'm obviously going to check ahead of time because then it will save some frustration. But, you know, especially if you're going out of state or anything, you can, you can now check that. Like it's, uh, it's just built into it. It's, it's super helpful. So the the primary imagery, like the higher resolution stuff, the satellite imagery you're seeing by default in an area, is there any way to know when that is from? Not right now. Um, we are we've had conversations about trying to get that information and, and publishing it. Uh, the problem with that is it's so inconsistent. Um, like there's not a one date fits all for for the country, right? There's areas of the sure. country that get flown with imagery way more frequently than area and areas that don't unfortunately the areas that we like to go the people listening to this podcast and us are the areas that typically don't have as up-to-date imagery as some others right so you know it this isn't an area of expertise for me but talking with some folks internally i know 
for example, like metropolitan areas get have more frequent imagery and it's better, right? We're not interested mm. in that. We're interested in the, the backcountry stuff. Um, so we're, we're constantly working on our imagery uh, resources and, and like what's the next best option and how do we, how do we give that to a customer at an affordable level? Like there's, there's some options out there and, and some imagery that would be potentially a little bit better, but it would come at such a, a huge cost that we just don't, we can't justify raising the, the price to the customer in order to justify a little bit better here or a little bit better there. Um, because that's ultimately what we'd have to do. So it's always a constant battle of like, what's the best and how do we deliver it to the customer without, you know, charging a whole bunch more for, for the product. Isn't yeah, I ran into that. Now? Sorry, go ahead, Steve. I, was, I ran into that. I was elk hunting a spot this year and there was a fire from 2018 or 19, but it wasn't showing up. And I can't remember if it was either, either wasn't showing up on Onyx or wasn't showing up on Google Earth. Um, can't remember which one it was. But anyways, yeah, same deal. It was just kind of old yeah. old imagery and you get there in person. Or, oh, this isn't what I was expecting. So probably important to like turn on your fire layers as well when you're looking at imagery and make sure it matches up with what you're seeing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Isn't there an imagery? What is it? Oh, imagery on demand. So that's like a purchase option to get more updated satellite imagery, Dylan, in the app. Yeah, yeah. So that one is is new also, and it's super interesting. It is a, an additional purchase. It doesn't come with with a membership, um, just because it costs us, you know, X amount of money. Essentially, we're not we're not like making money off of this we're basically covering the co- our cost for it but it's a really cool offering for the customer um so essentially if you want a image shot a lot of white again this is kind of more white tail but there are use cases for us western big game hunters as well um but if you let's just say you have a 10 acre spot where you white tail hunt you want you know photos of it in the spring summer winter fall or you want to take an image of of the area before you're going out there. Um, you can go to that imagery on demand, pay for the image to be shot, and then it will be delivered to you. It will only show up on your map, so it won't go to everybody's, but it's going to be an image within the last, like, I think it's a week to two weeks, what we say, but oftentimes it's much more closer and it's it's better resolution than the recent imagery that we were just just looking at. So one of the use cases that I think is is pretty cool, I haven't done this myself, but I could see myself doing it, is if I'm going to go out of state and I've got all my east scouting figured out, I want to go to this trailhead and I want to hike in here and I've got all this planned out, right? One of my main questions is, like, what type of traffic does that trailhead get? Is it crazy? Is there horse trailers? Am I going to compete with horse trailers? Am I going to compete with a whole, you know, whatever? So, like let's just say a weekend before you go, if it's in season, I might want to time it to where I shoot an image of that trailhead area. That way, when I get that image back and it's on my map, I can zoom in and say, man, there's eight horse trailers at this trailhead right now. And that was shot, you know, here's the date it was shot. So that was last week. You know, that's a ton of pressure. Maybe I don't want to deal with that. So um, that or a situation like, is there water? back in this drainage there's there's a water hole i can see that on the map but is it full like am i going to be able to a get water there or b like is that is that going to be part of my hunt strategy is that there's water in this area i know for me even in central montana like this year was pretty good last year there was no water in any like ponds or anything that i typically you know find elk around there was just it was a drought like no water to be found so all the areas that typically held elk because there was water in that area, like all of those were bone dry. So had I have taken a, you know, an image of that a couple of weeks prior to me going out there, I would have known, okay, like everything is dry this year. Is there any cattle tanks in the area that, that I can, you know, look at for water for elk hunting or whatever. So it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that's probably not going to be super beneficial for everybody. Um, but that imagery on demand is, is pretty cool for, um for the right things is that a flat rate per image or is it just vary depending on the yeah what the yeah, area so that you're asking is, yeah 
Yeah, no, it is um, per image, and you get quite a bit with it. I can't remember exactly the the parameters of it. I was um, just Googling you know, it's not, Dylan, it's... so I have the details. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You guys have great information um, on your website. It's a 4,000-acre image uh, delivered within two weeks, and it's fifty nine ninety five. It's crazy. Like You're essentially paying a satellite to actually go take an image for you. That's wild. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And, you know, some people look at that price. And again, we're we're not, I can assure you, we're not making money off of this. This is just, uh, here's what it costs us. And it's a cool thing. So let's, let's, uh, let's do it. So, um, you know, some people, you look at that 60 bucks. And to me, my my knee jerk reaction is probably like, ah, I'm probably not going to use that much as a customer, right? But again, if I want to know, if I'm not going to drive you know, five hours to a trailhead to see how busy it is or what I'm competing with. Sixty dollars all of a sudden doesn't seem too bad, right? Like, what's uh, ten hours of driving and whatever two hundred dollars and three hundred dollars in in gas? All of a sudden, sixty is like, ah, oh, it's not, that's not terrible. So, um, and it's cool that it's only on your map, so so you can see it on your map. You can toggle it on and off depending on if you want to see that or the other options. So, um. Yeah, just a, a cool additional, uh, we can do this and it's a value add for the customer. So let's do it. I mean, and 4,000 acres is a solid size too. It's not like it's just a tiny little pinpoint. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. So I know uh, we, we do have layers like you were alluding to, Mark, of, or I think Steve, of like the fire layers. Um, so you can see where historic fire fires burning, whatever. We also have one for timber cuts. So if it's on national forests or, or areas like that, as long as that information is given to our data resources, we actually show where the timber cuts are. And if you click on them, it'll say if it was a thinning or a clear cut, whatever. But in areas that are actively being logged, like we might not have super, super quick information on that. So spring bear hunting, I, I can think of it in Oregon because I spent a little bit of time over there with born and raised. Um you know, if it's being actively logged, this would be pretty helpful to say, like, where are they at right now? Like, how far have they logged or whatever? Um, I think Trent even made a, a joke that as somebody who's, like, managing a logging operation, it'd be super interesting to shoot these images just to, like, check on the progress of, like, every two weeks what is being changed, right? So uh, definitely some some unique use cases for it. Yeah, for sure. I was just curious. I was in the app too like what is four thousand acres if i start drawing and you guys have an area shape tool so you can start drawing a shape and <laughs> it tells you the area so it's like i mean using super rough numbers if you took a square and made everything between two and a half to three miles so each leg of this square is between two and a half to three miles that entire area contained within is roughly four thousand acres so that's yeah, and I mean one you know, square a square mile for reference is six forty. So it's okay, you know, there you go. That's yeah. a that's a good like for me, I you know, for anybody out hiking in square miles, especially where it's like fenced off, it's like I know I know what it's like to hunt a single section and so you put multiple of those inside. So that's six hundred and forty acres is, is a section. Does offline three D exist yet? Not yet. So working oh, yeah. on on that capability um, does not exist yet. And it's one of those things like we talk about technology and, and how things are changing. We're working on those type of capabilities, but mm-hmm. I don't really know what's going to come first. The technology for us to be able to do that or cell phone service everywhere, right? Like mm-hmm. we're, we're yeah. so used to hunting areas that don't have service. Like that's why we have inreaches and, and other devices for that. You know, we can't predict the future, but I feel that, you know, in our lifetime, for sure, there's going to be a point where you don't go anywhere without cell service. Like maybe if you get to the yeah. bottom of a, a nasty drainage in the backcountry, right? But, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that would kind of make our life a little bit easier and, and whatnot is if people just had service more often. That's always a, a catch-22 of like, I, I like not having service on some hunting trips and camps, but <laughs> thousand percent, uh, for, yeah. For this, that, yeah. So it's like you don't want to sh- turn your phone on. Um, once in a while, I'll get to a spot and check the uh, the camp and be like, "Yes, no service. We're good to go. We can camp here." But um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. We are working on those type of things because 3D is is awesome. 
especially with the improvements we made uh, last year. We, we also have 3D exaggeration, which is another thing I used a lot this year. Um, one of the things that's really cool for me to see with a company like taking 10 steps back is, you know, again, I've been here eight and a half years and we went so many years just like building stability in the product and not necessarily coming out with like super cool new features. And for a while there, it was like, oh, we got to come out with these new things that are cool and, you know, elevation bands and all this fun stuff. But we we did, and I, I won't say we like me, I'm on the marketing team. The engineering teams and everything did the right steps to to build the product to where it can scale and be effective and not crash and not leave people stranded in the backcountry and just work, right? So we, we built like the base and now we're adding these cool new things. So in the past year, we put out more features than probably the last four previously combined. Um, and so like 3D exaggeration is just another one of those things to where if you're in the mountains, 3D is great. Like it works, whatever. Sometimes still you look at 3D and then you actually get there and you're like, oh man, like this is way bigger than I thought it was going to be or what it looked like on on the map. Um, but especially areas like, you know, central Montana or areas that aren't super mountainous, but definitely have topography. If you turn on 3D in those areas, you're just kind of like, meh, it's just underwhelming. But if you use the 3D exaggeration, it's got a slider bar to where you can slide it over or back, depending on how much you want to exaggerate it. You definitely can get get it to a point where it's very cartoonish of like way too exaggerated, right? Um, but what I find is like areas that have topography, if I go like a quarter to a third of the way up, it pulls up that 3D just enough where it's like, okay, that actually looks very comparable to what the landscape looks like. Or in the mountains, if you pull it up just a little bit, it's like, okay, now it looks a little bigger and it's probably a better representation of what it actually is like. Um, so when I get there, I, I don't look up at the mountain and say, uh-oh. Um, so it's it's a super cool uh, new thing. And you know, for whitetail hunters, again, like you're not dealing with big elevation changes. You're dealing with a uh, 10 to 15 foot creek bed that is is making a funnel. So a lot of those folks are using it too and exaggerating it way more than what we will. And then seeing, oh, there is a depreciation here and here and here and they converge here. Like that's a good pinch point. So that's uh, the 3D exaggeration I've used a ton this year. It's pretty cool. Yeah. that uh, I think that Google Earth had something I used a long time ago. It was the same thing you're describing. I think it called aspect ratio. And I would, I'd, yep. over the years, I figured out I'd, do like 1.4 on it and that matched more what i saw when i was actually in there um up there in the mountains that's a really cool feature yeah and it's cool because obviously i work at onyx so it's my job to tell people about these and explain it but first and foremost like i i the reason i am in the position i am at onyx is because i'm a customer first like i use the heck out of it for my own personal hunts and i would whether i worked here or not so I'll get off on like these tangents of all these cool things. And it's like, it's less of like, Oh, I work here. So it's my job to, to educate people and more just like, it's awesome. And I use it. So I want people to use it too. And, and to see the value in it. And that's where, you know, if you have a one-on-one conversation with somebody at a trade show, for example, and hopefully podcast too, but if, if you can like show the aha moment, they're like, Oh, I'm going to invest some time and learn this because it's going to make me more effective. Um, whereas if you just create new things and put out some FAQs and video, like hopefully people check it out. But, uh, there's, I would say almost everybody, not everybody is in every single person, but a vast majority of our customers use way less than 10% of the the products like capability. Mm. Yeah. That's me. I know that for a fact. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right there. Are there common mistakes? Mistakes you see people make, Dylan, like uh, again in context for backcountry western hunts, whether it's something to do with offline mode, whether it's something to do with I don't know battery management, what have you. Just like, is there anything that comes to mind, kind of in that regard? Of you run into somebody at a trade show, or you hear if somebody calls into support, and they're like, "Oh, this, you know, didn't work because X, Y, or Z," and it's like, "Oh, we actually just, you know, didn't do this right, or yeah. uh, made that mistake." Yeah, you hit on two of them really well that that all that into so the battery management one is obviously a, a big thing and if you're doing 
hunts like you guys do where you're out for seven to 10 plus days or whatever and living out of your backpack incredibly important um i always have a uh battery charger pack in my in my backpack at all times like it does not leave the pack ever because if it leaves i'll forget to put it back and then i'll end up in a situation i don't want to be in so um i always have a charged up battery pack with i know some folks especially you guys will probably have a lot more to say on this for for doing those more extended backpack hunts um but like solar like a small solar panel to charge that etc but the biggest thing is just put your phone into airplane mode if you don't have service if you're not checking emails if you're not expecting text from home especially if you don't have service like put your phone in airplane mode and it will save a ton of battery like so much battery just not constantly searching for a signal um the other thing too is you know it seems obvious but i know a lot of people don't do it at night like put that in your sleeping bag don't leave your phone laying on the ground when it's going to be cold because the cold is what seems like just completely sucks the the life out of a phone so wrap it in your sleeping bag wrap it in a puffy um something just keep that phone warm the other thing too is i love tracking myself like I love having the tracker on, on, on X, like it, oh, yeah. it is so helpful. But if you're your main goal, if you're going out for 10 days and you don't need to be tracking at one, like at any particular moment, like, yeah, track yourself where you need to. But if not, don't just have that track running in the background. Cause that will also burn up some of the, the, the juice of your phone. So, you know, it's, there's areas where it makes sense to track. There's areas where it's like, ah, just, I'm, I don't need it today because I'm going up to the glassing point and I already have a track too and whatever. So I'm going to just not turn it on right now. So those are some things with that. One of the biggest things too, and it's still a, a we talked about education and uh, this one stumps me a little bit because we, we harp on this so much, but folks still forget to save maps ahead of time. So it, you, it works, you know, flawlessly without cell service, but you have to do your due diligence and save the area that you're going to ahead of time. And a lot of folks either don't know to do that or forget. Um, so just, just having those areas saved. So when you get out there, uh, the other one that we get a lot in customer service, and I actually started in customer service. Like I did customer service for two years at the time. I was the the one and only customer service person. So um, if anybody would have called, you know, between eight and a half and six and a half years ago, like you talk to me. Um, and so one of the other things that we get got then and still get today is people just inadvertently turning on layers and then not knowing what's going on with their map. So if anytime somebody pulls out the, the map and it's like as like a blue haze or just isn't it doesn't look right, they'll call and say, ah, oh, it's broken. It, it's just like blue. Right away that tells me like, oh, go to your layers, find the roadless area layer, turn that off. And they're like, oh yeah, I fixed it. So I think a lot of people think they're going to break the app. Like you can't break it. You can turn things on and off, touch all the buttons, play with everything. Like you're not going to break it. So if you are ever in a situation where it's like, yeah, the map just doesn't look right for some reason, you probably accidentally turned a layer on. So go back into your layers, find which one's on, turn it off. There's so many layers and so much data. Like there's, you know, crop layers, for example, you can turn on the crop layers and then individually tap on the crop to see what was planted there last year. But you could also go in and say, like, I only want to show alfalfa, hay, corn, and soybeans, right? And then it just shows that on the map. So, you know, if you have every layer on and, and zoom out on the map, it's going to look like, you know, just a splattering of so much information that it's almost too much. Go back into the layers, start turning layers off to figure out what you want on and off. I'll second the uh, running tracks. I started doing that this year. Uh, elk hunting um, when Cody and Strand were out for a week and I'd, they were Strand was doing I was like oh that's cool so I just started doing it every day that is invaluable information like just over the course of a week seeing where you hunted where you didn't hunt um, I, I going back to using the compass mode post post shot like immediately if you're not running tracks the second you shoot turn on compass mode so that you're tracking if you get in a blood trailing situation and you have to get into a gridding you know, like you lose the animal that yep. to be able to turn, run those tracks and, and go back and look at that. Like, well, what, you know, what area did I hit? What area did I not hit? I just, that's going to, people are going to find animals strictly because of that feature. So much more. And uh, the, the tracking is cool because it also, 
I've got several tracks saved where it's like, this is a horrible route. Like this is, this route sucks. <laughs> so I'll save that. I'll save that track, but mark it like red or change the color or something. It's like uh-huh. the track's still there, but I know like, Hey, I hiked up this drainage once. Do not ever do it. Don't do it again. So like I'll, I'll save those <laughs> and like add notes or change the color or whatever. So it, it's as valuable to me, like finding ways I don't want to get into an area as finding the one that I do. I mean, we, I'm sure we've all done it before where you're, you're coming out packing out an elk or whatever in the dark and you're just suffering over deadfall all over everything. And then you see that area in the daylight for the second trip and 10 yards above you, there's a beautiful game trail, like the whole, the whole way. Like that's happened multiple times for me. And then it's like, sweet, turn my tracker on, walk that game trail to the side hill and save it. Now, every, now I can go in that area in the dark and know I'm not going to deal with, you know, 45 minutes extra of blowdown and just beating brush. Um, yeah. So the tracker is super helpful. The other thing too, you mentioned like blood trailing. We've gridded out before looking for an animal and like, I've got my tracker on Marcus, his tracker on Steve has his tracker on and Zach has his tracker on. Well, it's super helpful individually, but when you have service and you can share those tracks to each other, I'll save mine in blue. You save yours in yellow, then red and green or whatever to have different colors. And then you share them. And so now on my map, I have all, you know, four of our tracks overlaid. So now I know where you guys have walked, you know? So it's like, Mm. it it really just paints a picture of, you know, where else can we grid or what else can have happened situation? Because you're not just looking at where you walked. Like you can share those, you can share waypoints with each other. And uh, to see those, especially with different colors is, is super, super helpful. That's awesome. So many, so many different ways to use the product. Yeah, I, I just thought of one other use case real quick with the sharing tracks is, you know, if you, especially if you have service, but even if you don't and you've been into an area, like you can send a buddy a track and a waypoint to get into camp and just say, yep, follow this in the dark, you know, like otherwise you send a, you send a waypoint and they're taking a obscure way to get into your, into that, that camp or whatever. Like it's just, it's super nice and handy for that. Like meet me here. Here's a track on how to get up to that glassing point, and then they can just follow it. I, this may open up a can of worms, and I know we're about out of time. Um, quick tips or strategies for managing all this data. So, like old tracks and waypoints and colors, and I, you know, there's folders now which I still don't think I've used. But any of your like favorite advice for that type of thing? Yeah, so I'm not as good on this as I should be either um, at all. But the folders are so so beneficial like and we made it to where when folders first came out you had to individually add waypoints and tracks and shapes and all these things to the folders but it was like as somebody who has well let me just see here as somebody who has uh 1782 waypoints i'm not gonna 1782 times individually add that to a folder so what we've done uh since then is you can add content to a folder based on like what you're seeing on your screen. So, I mean, even if I did by state, right, that's a pretty zoomed out. There's a lot better ways to do it than that, but I could zoom out to Montana and then add everything that's in that state to the Montana folder. Um, You know, you can do it by species, by game management unit, by areas, et cetera. There's so much to it, but the, the folders are so valuable, especially when you get a lot of content on your map because then you can just turn a folder off and on. So if I mule deer hunt and elk hunt the exact same area, and then my map becomes a little cluttered, well, I can have a mule deer, you know, GMU, whatever, 270 folder and an elk GMU 270 folder, and then turn those off and on, on the screen, depending on what I want to see. So it really, really helps you manage those. Um, There's so many different unique ways to do it. Um, And it's also helpful too, that you can sort. So like if you, use different colors for waypoints. Uh, yellow for me for waypoints is areas that I want to go to, I'm interested in, but I've never stepped foot there. So whether I'm driving through a new area on an interstate and look up and be like, oh, it looks pretty elky up there, or I'm e-scouting, all those are yellow waypoints. So with with uh, sorting, I can sort and I can only show yellow waypoints on the map. And then I can pull all of those into a folder, for example. So there's, there's a lot of ways to there's a lot of different ways to go about it like you us three on this call would definitely go about it three different ways um depending on how you you're organized or whatever 
but the folder system and the color color coordinating and even like the custom icons like i think we've got like 40 some different icons from like glassing points to camp to whatever um you would be absolutely shocked at the number of people that only use red x like ever never never have changed like a waypoint to a parking or a backpack or a shot or blood or like we we have so many custom waypoints um icons and and the coloration that goes into it and a lot of people still just drop a waypoint with the red x and that's totally fine it's just not using it to as full as capability like i'm zoomed out looking at a map right now and i've got shed waypoints i've got truck waypoints i've got camp waypoints i've got elk waypoints wallow waypoints so i can the red x's mean something to me because it's not just a standard red x if i didn't hunt this area for five years and i looked i'm like what what the heck was I thinking when I dropped that waypoint? Like, what is of interest there? Some of those I'm sure I'd remember, but if it's a wallow waypoint and it's blue for water and I click on it and it has a picture saved to that waypoint of the wallow in 2017 and then a note that says like 2017 wallow full of water, heavy use. 2018 underneath it, I've got a note that says no elk in the area, the water wallows dry. 2019, I've got a note in there. So like, you can you can save notes. You can add so much more information and context to the waypoint. So I would say do that, and then the second step is organize it as best as possible through through the folders that you alluded to. Great stuff, man. Is, is there? I mean, I feel like we've covered so much. I personally want to go spend some time in the app and dive more into some of what we talked about. But is there anything else, like from your end, that you want to make sure we hit on, touch on, mention? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think we covered quite a bit. And uh, yeah, I would just say for anybody listening and you two specifically, uh, just feedback. Feedback is great. Like, man, I wish this feature did this. It'd be really cool if you guys thought about doing this. Uh, we really, really do listen to our customers um, a lot and a lot of things that we end up building, whether it be feature-wise or trying to get more data on or whatever, is because we, as the hunters that work at the company, are using it and thinking about those things dynamically. Or coming from folks like yourself of like, man, this feature is cool, but have you ever thought about doing this? Or I would love to see it do that. Um, so keep the feedback coming. And uh, I just say get in and, and learn it. Like, you know, we, we've hopped on it quite a bit, but if you educate yourself on these, if you spend like 30 minutes and just poke around and touch things in the app and, and touch buttons and add waypoints and delete them and figure that figure it out, then comes season, you know, it's like, I'm sure you guys have had some calls mid-season where, customers for the very first time are trying to, you know, pull the pack apart or something or, or load meat on it. It's like, do that stuff ahead of time. That way when you get out there, you can be the most efficient and effective and have the best, you know, season or hunt possible. Um, and it really, it, it isn't too difficult to, to dive in and to learn some of these things. Well, that's a wrap on this one, guys. Onyx is such a powerful tool, not only on your phone for your hunts while you're in the field, but if you've never gotten on and explored Onyx on the desktop via your computer, it is great for pre-planning, e-scouting, and more. So give that a shot if you haven't yet. Once again, guys, if you have anything for us, just send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. And if you are enjoying the show, it would help us tremendously if you could leave a rating or review in whatever podcast app that you're using. It should take just a few seconds to do that. So if you don't mind, go ahead and do that right now as we wrap this one up, and we'll talk to you soon.